Welcome to the Home Cook's Guide. I'm your host, Megan O'Donnell. I'm an above average home cook on a mission to help you elevate your everyday meals from ordinary to extraordinary. Aren't you tired of making the same boring meals every week? Well, I've got just the podcast for you. Every Monday episode will inspire you with new and diverse recipes. Together, we'll uncover the dish's rich history, we'll break down the ingredients, and talk through the step-by-step cooking process. Whether you're new to cooking or just looking for some weekly recipe inspo, this is the show for you. Be sure to follow on all social media platforms at The HCG Podcast for additional cooking inspo and show updates. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Home Cook's Guide. I'm your host, Megan O'Donnell, and today we are making a dish that is not only deeply flavorful and a visual masterpiece, but it has such an elegant presentation that it is only meant for the highest caliber of guests. This, to me, is a dinner that you would make for a boss who's coming over to your house after you receive a life-changing promotion. I am still waiting for that life-changing promotion to happen, but when it does, I will be inviting my boss over for some herb-crusted lamb chops. This dish reminds me of the episode of Mad Men when Don Draper begrudgingly goes to Pete Campbell's house for a dinner party, and even though he's miserable, he's still somewhat impressed by the big steak that Trudy whipped up for him. If you're new to eating lamb in general, then welcome to the party. Lamb has a delicate, subtle, gamey flavor and is a common alternative to beef. It typically has less marbling, which means less fat and more nutrients, such as zinc, iron, and B12. So this is health and wellness. I will say, baby lamb chops, lollipop chops, whatever the hell you want to call them, ain't cheap. So this isn't a dinner to feed your family of six on a Tuesday night. This is very much a special occasion meal for people who respect high-quality meat and who also aren't total assholes when they come to a dinner party and realize they're not going to be eating 15 ounces of meat. You get three to four little chops, and you're going to suck it up because it's more quality over quantity when it comes to baby lamb chops. You could also make this as an appetizer moment for a dinner party since they technically could be a one-handed food that people can eat while mingling. But I think this cut of meat is far too pricey to be willy-nilly eating it at a party. So to me, this is a proper main, and, you know, I'm not going to fight about it anymore. I'm done. I'm done fighting that battle. Like most dishes we'll make here on the Home Cook's Guide, this dish is very impressive and comes together fairly quickly. All you'll really need is a food processor, which is going to blast the herbs and oils and cheese that will end up making our delicious crust on the outside of our lamb chops. This recipe was created by the one, the only, Gordon Ramsay, and the link to the recipe is in the show notes. This recipe will feed about four people, but if the rack of lambs are somewhat small, then it may be better for two to three people. We'll just want to make sure that each guest has minimum three chops, but I believe four chops is the sweet spot. Start to finish, this dish will take about 45 minutes between prep and cook time, and we'll go over a little bit on how you can prep some of this stuff in advance. The last 15 minutes of cooking time will be a little involved, so it's definitely not a recipe that you'll be able to just throw in the oven and serve. You're going to have to do some finessing, but honestly, it's quite a beautiful process, so I wouldn't be too offended if my guests saw me doing this little process. Well, get your pens and papers out to start jotting down the ingredients that we will be putting on our grocery list to make this amazing dish. So first, we need two large racks of lamb. So each rack of lamb have about seven to eight chops per rack. And as I mentioned, we'll want minimum three chops per person. But again, I think four is definitely the best. And you'll notice that the racks can vary from size, whether it's three pounds to six pounds, if you're fancy like that. So if you're seeing that the rack is somewhat small, then maybe get three racks for this recipe, depending on how many people you're feeding. 
but use your best judgment when you're buying meat for your guests. You generally know how much people are going to eat. If my dad is coming over, I know I need a bigger cut of meat for then, you know, like my sister-in-law. So if you're new to cooking with lamb, you may notice there's a bit of a gamey funkiness to the smell of the meat. That is completely normal and expected when you're cooking with lamb. Of course, use your best judgment, and if it smells like rancid, then it's not good, and you can unfortunately throw it out. That's a huge loss, and will cost you a pretty penny, so maybe see if you can return it at the store. I don't know. But raw lamb will definitely have a bit of funk to it, but again, go with the flow. You'll become accustomed to it fairly quickly. So once your lamb is out of the package and on your plastic cutting board, you can then decide if you want to French the rack of lamb or just simply leave it be. And so Frenching a rack of lamb is just trimming the meat away from the bones in order to give a more attractive presentation. So basically, they'll have meat in between all of the bones. And so basically, Frenching just cuts that meat portion completely out just to allow for the bones to look really clean and it's really just a presentation thing it doesn't do anything for the ultimate flavor of the dish it's really just about vanity and you know a lot of times racks of lambs will already be frenched but if it's not I generally don't spend too much time cleaning them because frankly I love any form of meat fat so if there's anything else on the bone that I can gnaw on I will gnaw but if you're shopping in a local butcher for your meat you can always ask them to french it for you something that takes us probably 10 minutes to do at home will take them two minutes and they could do it in their sleep So I'll put a link in the show notes to a reference guide on how to exactly French a rack of lamb since, again, carving and cleaning meat doesn't really go over well in an auditory form. So even if you don't French your lamb, you'll still want to remove the fat and the connective tissue on the top of the meat, which is basically just a white slab of fat on top of the rack of meat. And so we're going to want to trim away that thick layer of fat covering the ribs by making a small little incision on the on the side where you see the meat and fat kind of coincide. And then we'll slowly peel away the layer of fat with the hand that's not holding your knife. And you'll physically notice that it's more of a pulling and separating action versus slicing. And so you'll notice it naturally peels off once you've given that initial incision with your knife. And so you may notice that after you've removed that layer of fat that you still have some thick pockets of fat on top. So if you really want to keep this lean and mean, you could just use a paring knife or whatever kind of knife you have just to trim some of those slabby pieces. I don't believe a little fat has ever hurt anybody. Fat has hurt so many people, so I don't... (laughs) So that's a flawed argument. (laughs) We have our nice, clean cut of meat, and we're going to want to score the top portion of the meat, which just means you'll take your knife and make shallow slashes on the top of the meat. And scoring the meat is just a technique that has a ton of benefits when you're cooking meat. It allows for a crispier outer edge. It increases the absorption of flavor of our seasonings, and in this case, Or in this case, our Dijon, which will kind of be our glue holding our herb crust on top of our meat. Um, And scoring also stops the meat from distorting during cooking, as cooked fat sometimes can shrink when cooking, leaving a cut of meat looking a little bit wonky. I think you can notice that oftentimes in a very fatty pork chop, where if you don't cut the sides of the fat, the pork chop itself will like scrunch up and look a little wonky. You will want to make sure that when you are scoring, you're using a sharp knife or else a dull knife might make the lines look a little sloppy. And we're wanting this to look sleek and elegant, people. This is for our non-existent boss and our non-existent promotion. It's 2024. People don't get promotions anymore. (laughs) Let's not be crazy. 
So we'll be keeping these racks fully intact throughout the cooking process. So we won't be cutting through the bones. We will be cooking this fully whole as a united front, a united rack. So at this point, we are done cleaning our meat and we're ready to start adding our fixings. And so before anything else, we just want to give all sides of the rack of lamb a nice dusting of salt and pepper. Again, use your best judgment when it comes to salt and pepper. So now we're getting to the ingredients needed for our herby crust. So this is something you can absolutely make in advance of guests coming because if you ask me, I don't believe any host should be using loud kitchen appliances when guests are over. During party mode, I don't want to hear a loud blender. Unless that blender is being used to make frozen spicy margaritas. That is okay. That is an approved usage of an appliance. I don't make the rules, people. I just, you know, I just follow them. So first things first, Gordon calls for four slices of stale bread made into crumbs. So if you're going to be making your own homemade breadcrumbs, just put that stiff stale bread into the food processor and give them a quick blast before you put everything else in there. Don't blast them to death, though. You're going to want them to be a little bit larger because you're going to end up having them in the food processor with all of the other ingredients as well. So they'll have more time to break down then. And we don't want them to be so fine and so sandy that they kind of completely disintegrate and lose their structural integrity in our herb mixture. Obviously, stale bread made into homemade breadcrumbs is a lovely thought, but not everybody has the time or the ability to do that. Regular breadcrumbs work perfectly, or panko breadcrumbs can also work. I would say about one to one and a half cups is all you'll need if you're using breadcrumbs or panko. There is no need to break those down to any smaller size. We could just put them as is into our food processor. Then we will need seven tablespoons of grated Parmesan, which is roughly about half a cup. So, of course, I always encourage listeners of the Home Cooks Guide, buy fresh, real Parmigiano from the block instead of the questionable cheese that you buy pre-shredded in a godforsaken green bottle. But, of course, buying the good stuff is a bit more money than the pre-shredded stuff. But, frankly, at this rate, prices are so astronomically high on pre-packaged and pre-shredded items that it's probably only a few dollars different. And an unopened block of Parmesan can be stored in your refrigerator for up to two months and can be used in so many different ways and so many different recipes, as well as just like a yummy little snack if you're hungry. (laughs) That's why I always have three blocks of it in my refrigerator. So you're definitely going to be getting a lot of bang for your buck than this non-cheese substitute that you've been using. Of course, if you don't have access to fresh cheese, then go with the option that you can find at your local store. I know it's easy for me to say, just go buy fresh cheese, but I know not everybody has that capability. Then we will need some sprigs of herbs. So these herbs are what is going to give our lamb chops this vibrant, vivacious green color. It's such a visual dish that really excites me. So we're going to need some sprigs. I love his use of the word sprig. So we're going to need two sprigs of parsley. And so Gordon really only says to have one sprig of each herb, but I've made this a bunch of times and I do feel like you need two or three of each herb to really ensure that punchy green color of the crust that we're wanting. So for our parsley, we are going to be putting the stems and the leaves in there because the stems have the same exact flavor. Then we will also need two sprigs of coriander, a.k.a. cilantro. And so cilantro is just the Spanish word for coriander. And for some reason in the U.S. and Canada, it's become pretty customary to refer to the leaves 
of a coriander as cilantro and then the seeds as coriander. So we're going to need two sprigs of cilantro and the same goes for cilantro. We're going to also throw those stems in the food processor as well. And then because this is herb heavy, we will need two sprigs of fresh thyme and we're just gonna wanna throw in the whole leaves from the stem. No need to chop them up because again, they're going to be put into the food processor. This is a situation where we will not be putting the stems into our dish. We will leave those out and I'll talk more about what to do with them later in the show. If you don't have any fresh thyme here, I would say add about one teaspoon of dried thyme. And last but not least, we will need two sprigs of fresh rosemary. We will be doing the same thing we did with the thyme for the rosemary. So we're just going to throw in the leaves whole. Again, no need to chop them up. Also won't be putting the stems into the food processor. Again, if you don't have fresh rosemary, add about one teaspoon of dried rosemary. And so there are obviously a lot of herbs happening here, and I know some places don't have access to lots of fresh herbs. So if you can't get your hands on all four, I would say just prioritizing the fresh parsley and the fresh cilantro here. If your store doesn't have either of those things, really any bright, fresh, green herb can be swapped in here. Whatever you use will be great, but we do want to make sure that we do have some proper fresh herbs here. Not only for the flavor, but those fresh herbs will really give us the color that we're aiming for. Then we will need one tablespoon of olive oil, and that will just be used to bind all of our crust ingredients together to make it stick to the meat. Then, of course, salt and pepper, and I'd say give it about half a teaspoon of pepper and half a teaspoon of salt. The parmigiano will have a lot of saltiness, and we're adding about half a cup, so I would say don't get too crazy with the salt here. And so that's all we really need for our crust. We're going to put all of those things into our food processor, blast it, and then we're pretty much in the home stretch. We will also need one secret ingredient that I think really ties this dish together. We're going to need two tablespoons of English mustard or Dijon mustard. This is a recipe where I'm going to say hard no on swapping in a yellow French's mustard. I adore French's mustard, a pig in a blanket. But if you are able to get your hands on some proper Dijon or English mustard, please do for this recipe. Dijon or an English mustard just have a little bit more of a tangy and spicier flavor than a classic yellow mustard, which is a little bit more mild, but the flavor difference is slight, but considerably noticeable. So Dijon might seem a little random here, but it will actually help tenderize the meat proteins, which is really great for gamier meats. And it also will give the meat a nice tanginess that will complement the vibrant herb crust. So this recipe comes together fairly quickly with a lot of fresh food. So we are going to have some food waste. We will be demolishing these lamb chops. Everyone is going to be gnawing on the bone, but you can obviously save the bones to make a lamb stock the same way you'd make any other kind of beef, chicken, vegetable stock just by placing roasted bones, vegetables, carrots, onions, celery, leeks, and whatever into a large pot and simmering with water for a few hours. Lamb bones are full of essential nutrients, including amino acids, collagen, which is a hotbed thing people are desperate for these days. By the way, putting collagen on your face doesn't do anything. You need to ingest collagen for it to work. And you'll also get tons of vitamins like vitamin A and vitamin K. So go with it. If you have enough bones to make a stock, why not give it a shot? So if you are going to be buying that hunk of Parmesan that I've bullied you into buying, so once you're done with that block, however long it takes you to eat, for me, it's like two weeks, you're going to have the rind at the end of your block of cheese. And we're going to want to make sure we're saving those and putting them in your freezer. I know it's kind of random, but 
that block of cheese has tons of salty umami flavors in it. So we're not going to want to waste it. So those rinds can actually be put into any broth or risotto that you're making. It will really add a subtle savoriness to whatever you're making. And again, it's not going to make or break any type of broth that you're making, but it will add an additional depth of flavor. These rinds don't contain wax or other sealants. They're actually formed naturally during the cheese making process. And the rind is really just dried cheese that slowly hardens on the exterior of the wheel as it ages. So we want to make sure that, again, we're eating and using every single thing that we're purchasing because dollar ain't strong right now. So we want to make sure that every dollar that we are spending on quality, good foods are being used to the best of their ability. My grandma did give me a hot tip that you should always shave off the outer layer of the rind because sometimes the big wheel that it was cut out of will have the Parmigiano-Reggiano label on top of the block. And so there might be some ink or something on there. So always give it a little grate on a cheese grater before you put it in your freezer to then put into a super stock. We will obviously be using lots of herbs here, and herbs can be sorted into two very broad categories, soft and hard stems. And as I mentioned before, we'll be having parsley and cilantro, and we're going to be keeping both of those stems within our food processor so that we can incorporate those into our herb mixture. But when we come, but when it comes to the hard stem herbs like thyme, rosemary, mint, or tarragon, those are going to be woody and stick-like. So we'll just throw those stems into your compost bin, and those will not be used for a future stock. All right. We've gone through the ingredients. I hope you've added all those things to your list. And now let's get to the fun part because it comes together very quickly. So first things first, we're going to preheat our oven to 450 degrees Fahrenheit. Then we'll start prepping our meat. As I mentioned earlier, we want this beautiful rack of lamb to have that slab of fat on the top removed. We're going to score our rack and we can do our optional Frenching of the bones. Totally up to you. And then we're going to just make sure we salt and pepper the entire rack. Again, I would say make sure you salt and pepper that rack before you start doing your other stuff for your mixture, just to allow the meat to have some time to absorb the salt and pepper while we're prepping our crust. So now we can just quickly get to the assembly of our herb crust. As I mentioned earlier, we're just going to be placing all of the ingredients for the crust, except for the mustard, into the blender. It's that simple. So we're just going to add our breadcrumbs, our fresh Parmesan, parsley, cilantro, stems and all, and then our fresh or dried rosemary and thyme. And on the top, we'll give it a splash of olive oil and add a little bit of salt and a little bit of pepper. And if you're having trouble pulsing all the ingredients, you could add another glug or so of olive oil just to get things moving in there. But we really don't want to overdo it with the olive oil here. So definitely practice moderation. Start with the tablespoon or so and then see if you need to add a teaspoon or so just to get things moving. So once the mixture is fully pulsed and has the texture kind of like green sand, and so this is when you're going to see the vibrant, fresh green color created from all of these beautiful herbs. If you did want to try to prep some things before your guests arrive, this is something you could easily prep before and just keep it in your refrigerator for a few hours. I don't know how many days you could do it in advance, but we're using fresh herbs. We want them to be as fresh as humanly possible. So I would say morning of is a good time. So at this point, we're going to take our mixture out of the food processor. We're going to put it on to a rimmed dish so you just have proper space to really coat the rack because we're basically just going to be dredging our meat in this delicious herb mixture. 
And so then we are going to put our two tablespoons of Dijon in a little bowl or a ramekin, whatever you have, just so that it's ready when we need to coat our meat with it. You'll also want to have a little plastic or wooden basting brush ready to go because the meat will be hot. So it's not a situation where you can like use your fingers or anything to coat the meat. I don't know if people are using their fingers to rub things on meat. I don't know. But we're definitely going to want to make sure that we have basting brush, whether it's plastic or wooden, either will do. Or a little paintbrush, whatever you have. So now that all of our ingredients are fully prepped, we can start cooking. And first we'll want to find the vessel that we're going to be cooking this in, as we'll need to effortlessly go from the stovetop to the oven. I believe all home cooks need to make sure they have an oven safe skillet, but you can also cook this in a tall room Dutch oven if that is all you have. But we're again, we're looking for something that can go from stovetop to oven. We'll heat a splash of olive oil in our oven safe skillet or pan, whatever we're using, and we're going to let that heat up to medium heat and once the oil is glistening we'll place our rack of lamb in the pan we're going to be looking for browning on all sides including the ends of the rack i will say be careful as you're handling these racks they can be a little bit heavy so you might run the risk of kind of burning your fingers while you're trying to pick up the bones and move it around i usually use a really strong set of kitchen tongs in my dominant hand to help turn over the meat and i use that kind of at the meaty portion of the rack and then I'll use my hand to grab the bones to just place the meat where I want it in the pan. And so during this stage, we'll mainly just be wanting to get color on the outside of the lamb, which means we have to give each side a few minutes to properly brown. No color equals no taste, and it's quite literally science, and Gordon will tell you a thousand times, we need to make sure that we're getting some color on this meat. And so since this portion of our cook is really just getting that color on the outside of the rack, we are not going to be worrying about getting the insides fully cooked. That is why we're going to be sticking it into the oven to get that proper cook time. So at this point, we just want to make sure that our lamb is looking good. It's smelling good. It's getting beautiful color. We're allowing it to sit and rest. I would say we're probably going to want to be browning for about eight minutes on all the different sides. And if you are doing two racks of lamb at a time, watch out for oil splashing. And we do want to make sure that the racks have adequate space. So if you need to do them one at a time, that's totally fine. You could do this in batches and just put one on the side and then put them in the oven together in unison. So once every nook and cranny is fully browned, we're going to take both of the racks and stick them in the oven for seven minutes. And so this is the stage where the meat is really going to properly cook to perfection. And this is a note an editor's note for all the people out there who like well done meat. Um, we want to make sure baby lamb chops have pinkness in the middle. The pinkness isn't raw. The pinkness, <laughs> of course, could be raw if it's a certain level of pinkness. Duh. But we are wanting it to be slightly pink because that's really the sweet spot in a lamb chop where you're getting that perfect bite of juicy, tender meat. If you brown it too much, it can then get brown and gray, which if that's how you prefer your meat, go off do you but I do want mine to be juicy and light and tender meat so once our rack of lamb has been in the oven for about seven minutes we are going to take them out and we're going to then put them onto a cutting board to begin our little art project so we'll give them a minute or so just to cool off because they will be hot and then from there we're going to take our basting brush and cover every inch of the meat with our Dijon mustard and again that's sides that's the back every little inch. We don't have to put the Dijon on the bones because that's weird. Even if you aren't going to be Frenching your cut of meat, I would say we're not going to really want our herb mixture 
going up t- over the bones. We want to keep the bones clean and we're going to keep our Dijon and our herb mixture just on the rack of meat itself. So once both of our racks of meat are fully coated in that tangy Dijon, we are going to then dip every inch of the rack into our herbaceous mixture. And so the Dijon is really going to be the glue that holds it all together. And as I mentioned, there are certain moments in the recipe that just get very exciting. So it's so stunning when you see what was once just a boring brown piece of meat now just be covered in a springy green mixture. And it just it looks so mouthwatering. It's such a pleasing look. So once we do a double check that all of our meat is fully covered, we want to leave no meat uncoated. (laughs) We are going to let them rest on the cutting board for another minute or so. Then we will put the racks back into the pan that we initially cooked them in and we'll stick them back into the oven for about three to four more minutes. And so this last final cook is really just to make the crust harden up just so it's not messy and falling off while you eat it. Remember, we have the breadcrumbs in there. We have a little bit of that olive oil. It's stuck onto the Dijon. So there's a lot of moisture there that's going to allow for the herb crust to really remain intact while you're cutting it. So after about three to four minutes, you can take out our lamb and we are basically ready to eat. So I would let it sit for just a couple minutes before cutting between each bone to free each little lollipop. And so you can either cut the rack of lamb one by one Or you can even cut two at a time if you're wanting to serve larger portions for your guests. I think if it's a small rack, you should do two at a time because it looks a little bit heartier. You know, and if it's a small rack, it looks a little bit more pleasing when you see the two of them together. And so when you're cutting through to get your individual lamb lollipops, it's a very, very simple cut. We're just going to cut in between the bones and slice down and you'll notice it's very, very tender, so you won't have any toughness when you're trying to cut through it. And again, we do want to be delicate because we have that crust, but I've made this a million times and I've never really had an issue with the crust falling off when I'm cutting it. So at this point, you are going to notice the inside of your lamb should be that beautiful, nice pinky color, which means it's juicy and tender to perfection. Again, if you're noticing like aggressive rawness, that's a problem. Then you could just quickly take each individual chop that's already cut off the bone and we can give it a quick sear on each side on that same skillet. And again, this is a quick sear, like 30 seconds a side. That's it. Again, lamb is very sensitive, so we'll add a little bit of toughness as it gets cooked. So we are going to want to let it be a little pink, people. It's growth. We're having growth. At this point, you'll be ready to serve your friends and family the savory, tender, impressive, herbed lamb chop meal. I love nothing more than a super gorgeous presentation of a high-quality cut of meat that also allows you to get a little down and dirty and eat the meat with your hands right off the bone. If I'm going to be spending a pretty penny on meat, I want to make sure that every last ounce of meat is taken off that bone. Of course, use a fork and knife to cut it, but we definitely want to make sure we keep those big bones on there to have, I don't know, like a medieval-esque moment at our dinner table. Of course, this dish needs some side dishes. Gordon Ramsay suggests serving this lamb with potatoes boulangerie and a couget provençal which for us normal people is basically just scalloped potatoes with cheese and a stuffed zucchini. Doesn't sound as nice when I say it, but I support both of these side dishes, but the main attraction for this meal will be the meat. So whatever you decide to pair it with will certainly complement this dish. 
The lamb is seasoned and seared to perfection, then coated with a mix of Dijon and herbs and breadcrumbs and cheese that just creates this aromatic and delicious crust on our beautiful rack of lamb. I believe this meal will impress any crabby boss, annoying in-law, or truly anyone in your life. Or hey, make yourself a rack of lamb because you've earned it. I really encourage you to put all these ingredients on your shopping list for your next special night, and you'll be thanking me later. Please reach out on social media at the HCG Podcast or Megan at the HCGpodcast.com with your thoughts or any tips and tricks on how I can make these recipes even more delicious in the future. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Home Cook's Guide. If you're loving the show, leave me a five-star rating and a glowing review. You can also follow me on social media at the HCG Podcast or shoot me an email at Megan at the HCGpodcast.com. And let's not forget, I spell my name the right way, M-E-G-A-N. Got any good recipes? Send them my way, please. And be sure to tune in every week for more delicious recipes.